awesome series that was. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. We'll hear about the launch of the Indigo Premiership and also the wheelchair rugby developments in Wales. But of course, we'll start with the end of the autumn series. Women coming up, but what a day at the Principality Stadium on Saturday. How are your nerves? Hopefully, as good as Rhys Priestland's as he lined up that match-winning kick. So how was coach Wayne Pivak feeling after the game? Sort of put us through the ringer again, didn't they? Just summing that up, I thought boys worked really, really well to get to 23-13. An early injury to Adam Beard, which was a bit of a setback, and young Ben Carter had to run the line-outs. And like, I was just pleased for him. Young Chris, there's a few guys that got out there and got some game time against a top side and to come away with a win at the end I think was important for them. They put a lot of work in over the last three weeks against South Africa, Fiji and now Australia. So, uh, look, just pleased to get the result for a group which is working really, really hard with all the COVID scares and, and injuries and whatnot. So, um, yeah, really, really pleased. Bit of bottle from Reese Priestland and in fact the whole team to work their way up into that position. Yeah, and, and that's the character that's building and people got to understand that, you know, we'll look at the things we did wrong and the fact that we let that, that lead slip. Uh, we got the yellow card ourselves, which didn't help things. And so to fall behind only a couple of minutes ago with a, with a side that was out there with a lot of inexperience, a lot of change combinations, to get the ball back, work our way up there, I would have been happier with the, the guys crossing the line for a try, but... Certainly Reese stepped up and I was really, really pleased for Reese that he got to take that last kick. Sixth time this year that you've been playing against 14 men. What's going on? You want to look at the discipline of the opponent, I guess. You know, yellow cards last week. I thought we built a lot of pressure and put Fiji under immense pressure. Again, today with the yellow card, but the red cards, that's out of our hands. Just thank goodness we haven't infringed like that ourselves. You talked about the young players coming through. Just to name some names. Who are the people that you're really pleased to have seen a development in the last month? Oh, I named two big ones here and Ben and Chris, you know. 19 and 20, second row and six, and uh, to come on in a game like that, and uh, as I said, Ben Carter having to call the lineouts from from early in the game, about the 15th minute, I think, of the game, so showed that we've got some good youngsters coming through, and Ryan Lice, again, I thought, put in another big display, a lot of good performances out there. Tane Basham, man of the match, he's had a hell of a month. Hasn't he just, you know, uh, four big games, and prior to, to naming the squad, he probably would have dreamt of playing one or two maybe uh, but to play all four and start all four and a fun up each week I thought he's done a marvellous job and finally just looking ahead to the Six Nations thoughts turn to that what sort of shape do you think you're in going forward hopefully we're going to have a lot more players available and what we've got out of this particular set of matches is building more depth which is important you can get injuries at any time and you've got to have players that have had a number of games under their belt when you lead into a World Cup and we're certainly doing that at the moment and to get a couple of results out of the four games yeah, very, very pleased. Great, right, Wayne. Enjoying the results. Enjoy the night. Thank you very much. And I'm sure they did. The Six Nations will be around before we know it, with some tickets going on general sale this week. Back three player Johnny McNichol had a good autumn, so what were his nerves like at the end? I was more nervous just when uh, Priest was kicking that ball, hoping it would go over. Before that, it was all blurred, to be honest. Took a bit of bottle for the team to go behind and then work your way back up the pitch. Yeah, it shows you character from the boys to uh, maintain it at the end there. We had lapsed concentration at the back end and we'd managed to do well to get ourselves in a position to win the game. What was said on the pitch at that point? Yeah, I just trust the processes and trust the systems that we have and uh, when we get the ball, just hold on to it and hopefully we can draw a pin or score a try. You did trust yourselves to put the ball through the hands, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we, we had to. We sort of killed ourselves a wee bit before that to give Kirtley Bill the first opportunity to take the lead. But uh, when we needed to get the lead back, we uh, stuck with that system and it worked. 
How much of a difference does it make when you're down to 14 men like that? How much does it change the game? I think over the 80 minutes, it's huge. Like sometimes another team grows now in the league and it feels like they've got 16 instead of 14. So it depends what team's out there on the day. How do you feel the autumn series has gone? Presumably this win makes it for you. Yeah, it's a good way. It's a good way to finish. I'll have to reflect the four games as a whole over the next coming weeks. But um, yeah, personally, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And in terms of coming back into the squad yourself, has it been uh, you know, great from that point of view too? Yeah, form's been good, so I'm, I'm happy with that. And um, yeah, playing with a bit of confidence, so it's good to get out there and have about 30 minutes today as well. And um, yeah, nice to get a win, to be honest. Nice, really nice to get a win. And with the penalty at the end, are you one of the people who watches it, or do you hide your eyes? Uh, I chase it just in case it comes off the post. Great, congratulations. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Aaron Wainwright has really settled into the number eight jersey over this autumn series. So how was he feeling at the end of the game? Yeah, shaky. I think we did well to hold on to it at the end. Made it hard work for ourselves, but good to come away with the win. What was the feeling on the line? Did you know the penalty was coming? Uh, not to start off with, but then saw the arm go up. Bit of a sigh of relief there when he blew the whistle, and thankfully Priest hit the three points. Your opposite number got sent off early on. What was that like for the game? What, what effect did that have? Um, possibly the same thing as, as last week um, against Fiji. Probably didn't play as much as we would have wanted to. Uh, like I said, probably made it hard work for ourselves. But like I said, the main thing was we come away with the win. Yeah, what's that do for the emotions? Obviously, it's a last-minute kick, but it's a win against one of the big Southern Three Hemisphere teams, you know, and, and it rounds off your autumn series pretty well. Yeah, we probably didn't play as well as we wanted to against New Zealand. South Africa was a bit closer. And then to play like we did today, uh, come away with a win against Australia. Probably a frustrating campaign in total. Luckily, we had two out of four wins, which we'll, we'll take that. What were the nerves like the last sort of few minutes when they went ahead? Yeah, definitely looking to try and get back on the scoreboard as quickly as possible, not give away any penalties and, and try and get the ball back. Thankfully, we did that uh, and Priestley kicked the points. It took a bit of bottle to work your way up the field, get the pressure on the line, force the penalty, didn't it? I think that's what we set out to do from the start. We said if we went multi-phase, we would, we would put them under pressure and that's where my six would come from. And I think it took it to the last five minutes for us to do that uh, and it started working. So luckily we, we were able to put that into our game at the end of the game and come away with the win. And just finally yourself settling into the number eight role. How have you found this series? Enjoying it. Unfortunately, picked up a bit of a bang on the shoulder after the New Zealand game and, and been nursing that a little bit. Um, but yeah, really enjoying it, number eight and, and hopefully many more games to come. Oh, congratulations to the win. Cheers. Cheers. Aaron. Thank you. Wales women finished their autumn campaign on Sunday, a defeat against Canada, the number three team in the world. But it was close for a long time and underlined the progress made over the autumn series. The day after the game, coach Ewan Cunningham spoke to Liz Jones. Ewan, obviously now you've had a chance to review uh, yesterday's game. What are the thoughts to start with? Yeah, it's one of pride, I think. You know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of effort and hard work has been put in over the last uh, four to five weeks. I think we made strides moving forward, most definitely regarding our our structure, our training environment, which is a positive, and and uh, it's been great working with with these group of players. So just looking forward to what we can do in the new year. I say overall two wins, entertaining, attractive performances against Japan and South Africa. So you came up against a better, probably more experienced team yesterday. Yeah, Canada were very good, especially in the last 35, 40 minutes which is great learning for us, just shows where we need to be to compete at that level. We want to expose ourselves to that level of, of uh, rugby as often as we can so we get better. But we had a fantastic meeting this morning, reviewed things and been critical about key areas where we need to make massive strides and uh, there's excitement in the room where we can do that. What's the next steps? Yeah, well, it's obviously exciting times regarding um, contracts, so that'll be the next critical move 
getting those contracts uh, hopefully done and also let the girls go back to their clubs, growing relationships with their club coaches, monitoring the players playing in club rugby and then obviously come back together early January ready to prepare for the Six Nations. And so you're drawing up the criteria for the contracts and making selections, as it were, or making those first offers. What are your kind of priorities? What are you looking at when you're doing that? First things first is about getting more access to the players. So that's going to be one big thing. So obviously, when you go into a full-time environment, we can see the players on a daily basis, which ultimately allows us to make massive strides from a strength and conditioning point of view, which we feel is going to be critical towards our World Cup preparation. So that'll be the, one of the biggest things that we will negotiate with the player with regards to uh, the agreement on that uh, contract, really. And then in terms of performance, are you looking at how players have performed this autumn or the potential to make those improvements with the World Cup in mind? Yeah, both. Looked at how the girls perform, not only in the games, yes, that's important, but also there's a lot of girls who were involved in our camp and our squad that didn't get as much game time, but we're also looking at them, how they react adapt in our environment, their work ethic. So a lot of that is, is being uh, assessed as well on a weekly basis and looking at the performances on the field. So pulling all that together and hopefully pushing it through uh, over the next two three weeks. You're listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. in some ways the hard work starts now choosing those professional contracts with all that will involve and planning for the six nations plenty of planning has been going on around wales preparing for the new indigo premiership season which launched this week ready for next week's start including news that s4c will be streaming games live in a new slot on thursday evenings a chance now to chat to a couple of the high-profile coaches involved, starting with former Dragons coach Kerry Jones, now with RGC in North Wales. I didn't start the job until the 6th of September, so a late start for me, and then we were almost straight into the season. So um, when I first went in there, I said to the lads, well, I said the cup competition, we've almost got to look at this as an extended pre-season. We got halfway through the cup, we focused then, we said, right, OK, we put all our systems in place now, let's see if we can kick on and get some points. And I think we sort of flicked a switch a little bit mentally as well. And then from the Merthyr game, obviously, we backed it up with two away victories. So um, I think we gained a bit of confidence. And um, yeah, we seem to be on a little bit of a roll at the moment. Is that something you then take into the start of the league season? Well, that's certainly the plan. Um, like I said, the, the best lay plans are you know, always there until you get punched in the face, I think somebody said. So um, yeah, it's, look, it's, we know the challenge of the out there. And, and for RGC, I think one of the biggest challenges We've got people come in an hour and a half to training. You know, there's boys from Dog Atli have come to Colwyn Bay for an hour and a half for a training session twice a week. They go back, they go back to the farm all week, and then you're asking them every weekend then, or every other weekend, to travel three and a half hours down, three and a half hours back. So logistically, it is the hardest part, no doubt about it. And, you know, there's boys coming, some from Newtown, from Dog Atli, they're coming from all over the place. So I think the buy-in from the group is really important. And I think we've got that at the moment. And like I said, we're just going to keep that going and hopefully they keep enjoying the rugby and we can keep pushing on. When Thursday night rugby got announced at training, what was the reaction? Look, I think, as everyone said this evening, I think it could be a really interesting competition going forward. Um, I think my dad would say he played in them, I think, for Abervale, who were, who were supposed to be very good with Glyn Turner and I don't know where everybody else he goes on about. To be honest, he keeps going on so much. Anyway, during the 70s, it's generally. And he tells me how good a competition it was. So 
you know, I can see the logic in it, and I think it could be you know, very exciting for everyone involved. Of course, you'll have more travel than that Thursday. Are you going to work issues, getting players released, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's the hardest part for us will be on that Thursday. You know, obviously at home it's not so bad, but obviously most of our squad have got jobs. We've got some senior academy boys with us who are still students and the Bangor University and are doing a really good job over there, so they'll probably be okay, as long as they haven't had too busy a Wednesday night, let's say. But yeah, as we said, we've got lots of farmers, we've got, we've got slaughtermen in our team, and they're going to have to you know, take a day off work to be able to come down on a Thursday night so it, it will be a challenge but I, I can't see anything more than, than the boys is their huge commitment I've been overwhelmed with it they do give up work they give up their time and, and virtually every other weekend they come in they're, they're travelling and they give me absolutely everything and that's couldn't ask any more of them Who are the players we should be looking out for RGC this season? God I dread to say it because I don't want them to go um, <laughs> um, I think look the, the two that have really impressed me are, are two young players Pader Jones is a tight head he's about six foot three but he's about 125 or 30 kilos you know he's a bit like a leon brown shape let's say got a great work rate his scrummaging is really getting there now he's played 80 minutes against abervale on the weekend and for those 80 minutes he scrummaged with seven man pack so i put ethan fackrell out to defend in the back line and he did a really good job didn't get many penalties away in fact had the nudge on abervale once or twice i think for a 19 year old tight head that's pretty impressive uh, Ilan Evans is another one. Uh, Ilan's um, just, I think he's a month or so too old for the 20s this year. I don't think otherwise, I think he would have been a shoe in. Yeah, he's 6'7, really good athlete. Again, probably when I first got up there, hasn't had as much line knowledge because he probably hasn't been tested that much. I suppose going through the ranks, he, he was just a big guy who could just win the ball. But he is an athlete. I like the way he moves across the floor. He reminds me a bit of Corey. You know, I worked with Corey for a long time. Corey's really quick across the floor, really quick in the air. That's how he won most of his lineouts. So we started running similar lineouts like I ran with Corey at the Dragons because they suit him, and he's done really well with them. So I think those two are probably the young stars to look out for. But I think I've got some, you know, I'm incredibly lucky to have some extremely good backs as well. Rhys Tudor, Alan Bagshaw, Tom Hughes. You know, there's some really quality out wide. So it's, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be able to win them a bit of ball and, and watch them do their stuff. I think it was something like 19 phases, last play of the game against Ebervale, and we scored the try. So um, if anyone's not seen it, I think go and have a look at that try, because it's a mightily impressive try, that one. And finally, if the Premiership's going to move up to the levels everyone wants, coaches and calibre coaches, high-calibre coaches, are going to be a key part of it. The likes of yourself, there's a few others in the room. It's interesting to see that sort of development, that sort of quality coming into the coaching side. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, the better quality coaching these lads are going to get, I think you'll see the better product being put on show. You know, I've got to say credit to, to Cardiff and Newport. I think they put on some really quality rugby this year. We are trying to emulate the way they're playing, and they're, they're playing some really good stuff, in fairness, and they deserve to be you know, towards the top. I think our systems and processes are slowly catching up with theirs, uh, so I'd hope we can, um, we can push on and be towards the top ourselves. But I think, like I said, the brand of rugby you're seeing from those top teams, it's no wonder they're winning because, in fairness to them, they're playing some good stuff. Griff Reese, uh... Cardiff RFC, director of coaching is the official title. What mood of Cardiff in? Because when all this kicked off, it looked like you were going to win the Premiership that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, now we've picked up those conversations early in the summer when we were starting to prepare for this. And the ambition hasn't changed really. Our model has changed a little bit internally uh, in terms of me being involved perhaps and having the development slant of things we're doing. But working alongside Steve Law, the coaches, the backroom staff, we want to be 
high performance and that means competing and trying to win rugby games and that's important for the development of young players anyway. So we're enjoying it at the moment around this cup competition we've been involved in but yeah where the club was at before and the semi-pro boys who were really on the cusp of winning a league were not quite happening. That's given them probably even more ammunition to get back to that point. Can you talk about ambition? Someone like yourself is obviously coached at the highest level. That's part of the ambition. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're in competitions uh, essentially to do your best in them. But for me as well, it's also about the development of young players and seeing them prepare properly and learning about these young players as well alongside some quality semi-pro players we've got around Cardiff RFC and that's crucial for us as well as the development of young coaches like Craig Everett, Dan Fish and that's where hopefully we can add value to their career and yeah someone like Steve Law as well he's one of the most experienced coaches in the Premiership and you know it's also dovetailing with his ambition for the club to succeed and it's a it's a nice little load of things in the melting pot at the moment. What's your role exactly just the strategy overseeing it all obviously but also trying to make sure that Cardiff can stay there? Yeah, it is. I mean, looking at my role, the job title and day in, day out in terms of Cardiff Rugby is Academy Manager. But we saw this as probably a different opportunity in terms of what the senior guys needed, what Di Young needs, just to probably align certain messages, have certain commonality coming through the whole organisation, which even though we did it probably informally with Steve and previously with the RFC, doing it more of a formal basis in terms of who we contract, who they work with, which development players play at which time and also for senior players to get quality game time. It's managing all that process as well as hopefully using some of the experience and at times I've had in the pro game to benefit some of the coaching messages that go on on a weekly basis and helping those young coaches. That level of joined up thinking hasn't always existed between the Premiership and the Regents, has it? No, it hasn't, no, and I think that's where you know we're committed to really taking the lead on it. We certainly don't see it as a separate entity which again it has been at times and even my experiences as an Osprey coach we probably rode rough shot over the Premiership clubs at times and I don't think that was effective in terms of developing players and we've got to put our players at the heart of this and then I think our model does that and the Premiership is a great tool like I said to develop the players accordingly but in a vibrant competitive structure around great club games even the ones at the moment we're playing these cup matches and we've had talented players on the field but lost to a more mature, experienced, grizzled Newport side twice. And even though it gnaws at you a little bit emotionally, in my role, I can step back and actually see the benefits of that as well. The learnings, the reflections, the review that goes hand in hand with that, that sort of performance. That's powerful learning for the players and coaches. If we go back 18 months, there's likes of Max Llewellyn and a few others who have come through and presumably are going to be a lot less available for Cardiff this time around. Who else should we be looking out for now? Yeah, I mean, we've got a whole host of it going on at the moment and probably, in some ways, we're actually too development-focused at the moment. There's probably the balance isn't quite right a little bit, but I'm really encouraged by looking at players like Jacob Beetham at 15 is having consistent runner rugby, coming off under-20s experience in the summer. Ryan Wilkins at 12 is going re- really well for us and hopefully he'll be a standout for Wales 20s, as will someone like Alex Mann, who's been on a strength and conditioning phase for the last uh, four or five months but is now playing a little bit of senior rugby as well. And Theo Cabango has come in after, again, a little bit of an injury issue, uh, which meant he missed 20s, uh, Six Nations stuff, but he's ready to go physically and he's someone who can turn heads pretty quickly. So some interesting talent to look out for, either live or on Thursday nights through S4C's streaming services. Now on to wheelchair rugby, and last week we covered the announcement of the 2023 European Championships 
coming to Wales and the Principality Stadium. One of the reasons for that is the strong development of wheelchair rugby through the WIU and the regions with five regional teams and three youth teams. The event was also a chance to catch up with that progress, talking to Rugby Enterprise Manager Greg Woods and National Inclusion Manager Darren Carew. Well, Darren, we're here at the stadium. We're looking forward to the, the wheelchair rugby coming here. Just give us an idea from a Welsh Rugby Union point of view, the wider impact that's going to have. It's not just the event, is it? No, it's huge. And, you know, in some respects, the showcase is here at the stadium, but the real impact is going to be what happens within the community. We've already got a massive amount of work that we've put in in Wales, you know, to build up wheelchair rugby, working in partnership with Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby. And this event is just going to supercharge that, you know, to allow us to really grow our teams. We've got 18 teams in Wales now but when you think about it realistically each team has a fives format you should have a fours format which is what you play at the Paralympics but you should also have a youth team now we've got gaps in those provisions and this gives us the opportunity to really target that to get thumbs on seats you know and really be able to grow our numbers from a player base. Greg I'll spare his blushes just give us a picture of how much that development in the disability rugby over the last few years has been driven by Darren and and now a team I gather that's a nice development. Yeah, you know, we're extremely proud as a Welsh Rugby Union that, you know, we set out with a vision of creating a jersey for all. Very easy to say, very hard to do. And, uh, you know, over a three, four year period where Darren sort of leading and, and driving that sort of agenda for us is, you know, we've seen great growth, you know, and, and his challenges along the way. And we've done it at a sustainable rate. Don't overpromise and make sure that you deliver what you say. You know, and, and this is the next part, really. I, you know, I, I see this as a real sort of uh, watershed moment and the next real key milestone, really, having a, a world showpiece event in, in wheelchair rugby held at the Prince Bartley Stadium and the legacy work which Darren will oversee with our regional foundations and, and the work that they do and our regional teams. It can only be the, for the betterment of the game. We see it at the Olympics, obviously, wheelchair rugby, and see the impact of it. To have it in Wales, that'll bring it closer to home, it'll allow people to watch, obviously, firsthand. How much of a difference at a strategic level will that make? Yeah, hugely. Um, you know, the success that Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby had out in Tokyo, you know, watching the final on that morning, you know, my household was certainly enthralled and fascinating to watch. You know, and having such a great player in Jim Roberts, who's a proud Welshman, leading the way and, and being one of the key figures in that. You know, it's about inspiring the next generation and, you know, these are what these events and, and the work that you do behind it is so important because, you know, if we have a young person across anywhere in Wales and they can see it and they want to be part of it and they have the opportunity to play at the Principality Stadium, wheelchair rugby, you know, they might go to their local regional team and youth team, etc. So, you know, for us, we we got to make sure that we maximise the exposure of the event which will be fantastic and to hold the wheelchair event in a huge rugby iconic stadium you know I think it's both for great parties it's for us and for the wheelchair community really so you know but for us is having a real strategic approach maximizing the exposure you know and then delivering a real top class legacy program. Because Darren apparently we're beginning to hear people saying I want to be the next Jim Roberts not just the next Alan Wynne Jones or Shane Williams is yes I mean like it's something I talk a lot about reflective role models you know like who can you really aspire to be and you know if if we can unearth these amazing reflective role models like Jim then that's going to inspire the next generation of athletes you know because what's real success for us yes to see that growth within all the wheelchair rugby teams and see them absolutely booming 
but realistically we want to see more representation at GB level and the only way we're going to do that is by getting these players in those chairs and inspiring them to take that step and be on that journey. It wasn't that long ago you were trying to get a wheelchair rugby team in every region because they didn't exist right across the board. So to have eight, are you finding yourself pushing at a door that's getting easier to push these days? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like it, it was really important for us to work with the teams that were in place originally and build that currency of trust with them because you know they battled on for quite a long period of time they'd had support from gbwr through their officer but they never really had engagement for us because we are a different ngb but you know as greg and i had spoke about look you know this is part of our jersey for all you know we are an inclusive family and wheelchair rugby is firmly part of that you know so it was about developing that relationship gaining that trust and building building that up and then looking at how we could make it an easier system and remove barriers so we could create more teams. Part of that is about workforce. You know, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, I'm a level two wheelchair rugby coach and I've got the ability, thanks to GBWR, to be able to go out and run level one courses. So we've now got a workforce of level one wheelchair rugby activators in every single region in Wales. We've got 20 chairs of our own, 10 up in North Wales and 10 in South Wales, you know, so we can do engagement whenever we want and we're comfortable with doing engagement, you know, so it makes a massive difference. And I've watched the wheelchair rugby, not just for people in a wheelchair, but for able-bodied people giving it a go. It's quite a spectacle, quite an event, and it's not just limited to those people in wheelchairs. We talk about different formats, and, you know, like the, the Paralympic format is really quite strict. I mean, I've got one leg, and I'm not disabled enough to qualify to play for that. It is a tough sport to get into, and, you know, it is quite expensive. But with the introduction of fives, what that done is it's opened up the format a lot larger, which means we get a larger player base, which means that those teams are then a little bit more comfortable because there's no change in the, in the chairs themselves. It's just a little bit of difference in, um, in the formats themselves. And again, you know, you're referring to um, getting people out and in the chairs, you know, that you would say that potentially the seed of all this comes from us being able to get out on the Principality Stadium when we had the flooring down, getting staff members in chairs and saying, hey, have a go wheelchair rugby. We've got our own chairs. Have a feel about how amazing it is. And it is. Once you get in that chair and you get a bit of crash and bash, it really does excite you and energise you. There's no better way to show someone how awesome something is than to actually get them to do it themselves. I'm sure you'll be centrally involved in getting the eight teams here in numbers, friends, family, other people interested. How much of a boost does the Olympics give all that? And how much of a boost will it be to have that event that they can go to, they can watch, they can be at first hand? Yeah, it's massively important, isn't it? You know, um, one of the things that Greg and I were talking about, because we were involved with the legacy work around the World Cup, was about that Kitakushu effect and about engaging with the community, you know, and really raising the profile of the game, you know, engaging not only with those clubs and making them feel like they're part of this journey with us, because they're so important, because we want to feed these players into them, but also the wider community itself and getting them excited about wheelchair rugby and showing what it's all about. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, but I'd like to think, you know, the Welsh Rugby Union, you know, is game ready to really take on that legacy programme and really drive it to another level. And finally, Greg, that Jersey for All campaign will be boosted by having an event of this profile, not just in the wheelchair rugby world, but that Jersey for All campaign right across the board. Yeah, absolutely. It's a showpiece event. It's one of the major tournaments in wheelchair rugby across the world outside the Paralympics. And, you know, for us... You know, we just got to maximise that exposure and wouldn't it be great that, you know, it was in May in 2023, all rugby clubs across Wales want to come down into Cardiff to actually, you know, see it for the first time. Probably watched it on TV a couple of months ago. 
just come and, and experience it for the first time or the avid fans across the UK really and, and Europe so for us we're going to work really hard to make sure that there's a real event feel to it. There's lots of things going on outside of the main games and the main tournament, but we can't wait. We're really excited, and the best way to describe it, if you want to watch some real crash and bash rugby, there'll be some massive hits going in, some great tries scored. No way better than the Principality Stadium to watch it. Can't argue with that. Well, that's it for this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Plenty more to report on next week including a chance to hear from more clubs in the Indigo Premiership. But until then, goodbye.